Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. That's Northwest. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a wonderful couple of hours together. I hope you are ready for a great show. Rob Louie is going to be joining me in 60 seconds or so. He's my Tuesday guest, as you know, my Washington, D.C. correspondent. He is boots on the ground, knowing what's going on in our nation's capital. We're going to hear from him. And then Dr. Darius Daniels, and he has got an interesting book called Relational Intelligence, The People Skills You Need for the Life of Purpose you want. That's going to be coming up in the first hour. And then I'm going to be joined in the second hour by Dr. Brent Nix. He's going to talk to us about this coronavirus going on over in China, which we, which I don't nothing about except like the whole country's quarantined of 56 million people. And now we have to find out what's next. So we're going to talk to him. And then uh, Pastor Jeremy Treat from sunny Los Angeles, which is going to be my last guest of the day. So that's the show in the lineup. Let's take 60 seconds and bring on Rob. If you're listening to Faith Radio right now on an AM signal, we just want to let you know that you do have the option to listen to our static-free, crystal-clear FM signal. All of our markets now have Faith Radio on the FM radio band. To see where to turn the dial in your city, visit MyFaithRadio.com and look under the About tab. Then click on How to Listen, and you'll see the FM stations listed there. Enjoy Faith Radio in FM. Imagine a version of you that's more loving, kind, gentle, patient, and joyful. It's a version of you that God says can be possible. So this year, why not take the steps to get there? Intentional time invested with God. And with solid Bible teaching, Faith Radio could be a catalyst for that. The December 31st, 2020 you begins today. Connecting faith to life. Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. Always glad to talk to Rob Bluey on Tuesday. Rob Bluey, of course, you know, is the executive uh, editor of The Daily Signal. Probably the director, too. It's just the way my mouth is working today. But uh, he's here to join us. Rob, welcome. Hey, it's great to be back. Yeah, I promise, Rob, the more this uh, impeachment trial goes on, the more confused I become. Yes, well, <laughs> you you are uh, among, I think, probably millions of Americans okay. who, who are... Who are uh, struggling to figure out what's going on or keeping tabs. In fact, Bill, you know, it's really interesting. I, I think that uh, that some of the people who were really pushing impeachment thought that it was going to really be a captivating thing that had the nation on edge, and, and we've seen pretty much the opposite. Uh, you know, TV ratings seem to be down. Uh, Americans are, are not uh, listing this as among their, their top concerns. Even Democrats in Iowa, which, of course, votes next week in the caucuses, uh, you know, have, have largely said that impeachment is not uh, one of the major factors of concern to them, so uh, it's still a historic effort on the part of uh, on the part of the impeachment managers to uh, to convict Donald Trump. Uh, but uh, you know, we, we kind of find ourselves now 
in a process where the Senate, uh, you know, is is gone through both the impeachment manager's case and now the president's defense team has has uh, come out and and made its case. And we have a couple days of questions, so senators will be asking questions, uh, and that's a process that we expect to probably take us through the end of the day Thursday, and then will be that uh, critical decision making time on whether or not uh, there are four Republicans who decide to join Democrats and and vote to call witnesses, and and that's when it could really uh, throw things for a loop because we don't know how long that process uh, might play out. I think I heard one or two of the Democratic candidates uh, who are out uh, campaigning in Iowa say, as we crisscross the state, we have yet to have one person ask us about impeachment. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you, you, there, are, now, there are some in Washington who are absolutely captivated by it and uh, and certainly can't get enough of it. And, and you certainly sense the same thing is true on MSNBC and, uh, and CNN. But I think for ordinary Americans, uh, first of all, I mean, the process that uh, that we go through impeachment, I mean, it is not a quick process. So obviously, uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, months of, uh, of, of hearings. I mean, it was relatively quick <laughs> by the standards of impeachment. But still, uh, you know, the House voted there before Christmas, then Pelosi held on to the articles for a while, now the Senate's having its trial. So, uh, you know, I mean, this is, we live in a, in a day and age where, you know, Americans are used to having, what, like two or three news cycles in a particular day. Uh, so when, for impeachment to have the staying power, it's just not the case. And I think that it's not one of those bread and butter issues that's on the mind of voters in Iowa or New Hampshire or some of those early states where Democrats are campaigning. Yeah, I agree. And as I think about this process, now they're talking about, you know, the idea of calling witnesses. And is it up to uh, the Republicans and the Democrats as to what witnesses they choose unclear precisely how it might work. Thank you. Uh, I'll put that out there at the beginning. As I understand it, the Senate is going to first decide whether or not they want to call witnesses. So if, if there are four senators, four Republican senators who join with the Democrats, there will be 51 votes, and those 51 senators will have agreed to call gotcha. witnesses. Then okay. they have to take the next step, and they have to decide Will there be limits on the number of witnesses? You know, there have been some who have speculated that maybe John Bolton, the president's former national security advisor, would testify in exchange for Hunter Biden, uh, the former vice president's son. Uh, There are not a lot of Democrats who like that idea because they'd rather keep Biden out of it. Um, You know, but there, there comes the question of how many, how long will this last? And then, for instance, if President Trump tries to exert executive privilege and block John Bolton from testifying, which I don't know if that's, that's even remotely possible, uh, you know, that could be played out in the courts for several weeks or months. So, I mean, uh, that's why there's a lot of unknowns here. I think that there's a sentiment in Washington, particularly among Republicans, that they know the outcome is not going to change, even if you call witnesses. There are not going to be 67 votes to convict the president. So what's the point of prolonging a trial uh, when, when everybody knows that the end result is probably very much going to be the same? Uh, exactly. Um, so when you have... John Bolton's book that comes out, conveniently, uh, the information from the book, I don't know if it gets leaked or if it shows up somewhere, which now is supposed to be so compelling, well, why why now when the book is just going to be released? I mean, they had this information a month ago. Why now? Well, so John Bolton and his publisher uh, have said uh, that he is not responsible for this leak, um, so... 
the only people that we know that had the book were the National Security Council, which is okay. highly alarming to think that the National Security Council could once again be implicated in a leak. Um, I mean, these are the uh, government officials who should be the most tight-lipped of them all. After all, they're, they're, they work for the National Security Council. So I think it is uh, quite alarming that things have played out the way that they have. Um, you know, John Bolton, uh, you know, is somebody who, um, you know, now finds himself in the crosshairs. Uh, yeah. for, in- for instance, Vice President Pence has come out and said that, uh, you know, John Bolton's account is, is not as he remembers it. And, and I think, believe Mike Pompeo has said something similar. So he's certainly, uh, you know, not, uh, not winning many friends in the Trump administration. But at the same time, uh, you know, he is a man who has uh, served his country for a great number of years. And, uh, and it seems to be standing by his story. So, Rob, if two people make statements, the president says one thing and John Bolton says another, and they're completely at odds with each other, I guess you're going to have to decide, well, which one do you pick, which one do you believe, and why? Exactly what uh, what some of these senators I think are, are trying to get to the bottom of, and so for those who want to have witnesses, and there are two: Mitt Romney from Utah and Susan Collins from Maine, uh, two Republicans uh, who have said that they want to have witnesses. They want to do so because they want to have more information and try to discern the question you just asked me: who is telling the truth? Uh, I'm not sure even if John Bolton testifies, you're going to be able to decipher that. I, I don't think that his his position or Trump's is going to change. Uh, but you know that's a, really essentially what's at stake right now, and and I think that that's what makes this uh, makes this so difficult because. There is, I think, a desire to bring as much information forward as possible. I mean, certainly I would think the president would want to be acquitted with all information having been out there. I mean, this is a president who's wanted to be transparent on this. I mean, releasing the transcript of a private call. Um, so it's really hard to know uh, where it ultimately ends up because at this, at this point in time, um, you know, and, uh, well, and let me just add one wild card there. There's nothing stopping House Democrats from calling John Bolton either. And John Bolton has said that he will respond uh, to a subpoena. And so, uh, that, you know, if the House Democrats so desperately want uh, John Bolton to testify, well, they have a path for doing that as well in their own committees. Yeah. So if Bolton testifies, do you think that then the Republicans would say, uh, well, you want to talk to Hunter Biden or maybe even Joe Biden? And I, I do. Where, I, would I the, do. where would the damage ultimately lie? Yeah, so there are there is a group of Republicans who would very much like to do that. Now the question is, um, those those three or four Republicans who may support witnesses, will they go along with calling Hunter Biden? <laughs> you know, they they may be inclined to call John Bolton, but I don't know if they would be inclined to call Hunter Biden. So uh, you know, it, it, you could end up, you could find yourself in a situation where there is a witness, but there's not this one for one trade. Um, where would the damage lie? Uh, certainly, uh, Joe Biden does not want to have any part of this in, impeachment trial, uh, nor does he want his son to be in the middle of it. So I think that uh, you know it, it raises questions about uh, about Biden and uh, and his involvement and whether or not there there were things that uh, perhaps were you know a little bit shady going on uh, between Burisma, the company uh, who, on whose board uh, Hunter Biden served. And, and the millions that uh, that he reaped uh, for for that, uh, so you know those are not headlines that I think Joe Biden wants, and that's why he would ultimately probably prefer to just move on. Look, there's a there's, we're going to be uh, you know talking about the Iowa caucus uh, and, and the vote next week. Uh, I think all of the candidates, uh, including those senators who are stuck in Washington as opposed to campaigning, would much rather be in Des Moines right now than they would be in Washington. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest, executive editor of the Daily Signal. Go to DailySignal.com. Let me take a short break. I'll be right back with Rob.
Welcome back to the show. Rob Louie is my guest, as he is always on Tuesday. I look forward to our conversations, and he is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. And if you've not been over to The Daily Signal, you must head over there and read all the brilliant writers and comments that are there. Uh, Rob, as I think about uh, President Trump's speech at the Mar- uh, March for Life uh, rally, it was uh, pretty powerful. It was. Certainly, he's the first U.S. president to ever speak uh, live and in person at the March for Life. Uh, it's hard to believe, Bill, that uh, that it took Trump to do that. We've had some other strong pro-life presidents, I think, of, of Ronald Reagan, who actually mm-hmm. wrote a book about this topic, and, and George W. Bush, who, of course, signed legislation uh, pr- protecting, uh, uh, you know, um, those uh, those unborn babies, but Donald Trump uh, is somebody who has really earned the title of the most pro-life president ever, based on his administration's actions, and kind of an unconventional person to not only speak at the march, uh, given that he didn't necessarily always uh, believe these, uh, these these things that he's he's now touting so strongly, uh, but you know, grateful to have him. A- as I think, uh, as, as I think, the entire pro-life movement and myself are, are grateful to have anybody who has uh, who has come from the other side. Uh, to understand the significance and and that uh, you know every life is important to value, uh, but you know Bill, the thing that really stuck out uh, in my mind uh, with Trump's speech and subsequently our president uh, Kay Coles James spoke at the pro life summit on Saturday, the amazing energy and enthusiasm of America's young people. Uh, you know, you, you often hear about how young people rally around certain issues like climate change or a gun, uh, you know, uh, uh, gun control or, or various topics that we've seen highlighted in the news. And I don't think this gets enough attention because the n- a number of young people who were in Washington on Friday and Saturday and spent the weekend, uh, it was just incredible. And the energy that they bring to the, to the pro-life movement is, uh, is, I think, one of the things that Donald Trump rightly recognized in his speech and, and would, be, uh, would be wise to, to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. That's a great observation. I appreciate hearing that, Rob, because uh, it seemed at one point, and this might have just be uh, my recollection, that Democrats and Republicans, um, we always had the same goals in mind, but just different ways of achieving them. Now it seems that the objectives and the goals are so radically different uh, that we can't really agree on anything. That is a good point and a good observation. You know, we <laughs> uh, find ourselves oftentimes at odds over, uh, you know, policy issues uh, that really it would seem there are some logical common sense solutions that people should be able to come to agreement on. And, and let's face it, there are some issues where it seems that the, the Democrats and Republicans are at loggerheads for years and then you have a major breakthrough. And I have two examples that come to mind. The First Step Act, criminal justice reform. Uh, you know, this is something that President Obama could not get done, uh, despite the fact that he had Paul Ryan and other Republicans on board with it. Uh, just could not get it through. There were, some, there were some hurdles in his way. President Trump comes in, and he's able to get Democrats to support it, Republicans to support it, and it's, a, you know, it's been a great success for his administration. And the other one uh, will be front and center tomorrow, and that's the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, uh, the free trade deal, uh, his renegotiation of NAFTA, uh, you had a situation where it really was dependent on Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives to to allow Trump to accomplish that. And it took a while to get done, uh, but at the end of the day, I think people put aside some of their differences and uh, decided that they were willing to make some compromises and trade-offs, and, at the, you know, we're, we're better off having that in place. So, you know, there are times, and I think of big issues like immigration or health care, and I think there are, it is possible uh, to get to, to a common-sense solution, but it's not an easy thing. Yeah. Now, Rob, I know 
Ukraine's been in the news quite a bit lately because of the impeachment, obviously, but there's also another uh, reason it's in the news with the 75th anniversary of the day uh, that soldiers liberated Auschwitz. That's right, and uh, and our foreign correspondent at the Daily Signal, Nolan Peterson, uh, wrote a, a fantastic piece, uh, you know, commemorating that that really tragic and sad anniversary. Uh, yes, 75 years ago, uh, Soviet forces uh, stormed into to Auschwitz, and and Aus- Auschwitz, of course, is where uh, the Nazis murdered more than one million men, women, and children, uh, most of them being Jewish. Uh, during the Holocaust, it's uh, you know um, certainly a, a moment that uh, is, is worth remembering, and particularly at a time when we see a rise in anti-Semitism, uh, you know, particularly in the United States, which is which is disturbing. And and I think it's important that we have these conversations and remind people about the history and the terrible things that happened in the past. Rob, have you ever uh, been to one of these camps? I have not. No. I have not. You know my. My uh, father's side of the family uh, comes from Ukraine, and my, my mother's side uh, comes from Poland. So at wow. some point, I would really like to visit uh, the motherland, if you will, Bill, and, uh, and see where my, my distant relatives uh, are from. And maybe I still have some relatives there. But uh, no, I've never had the opportunity to visit that part of the world. Mm-hmm. Another one of your colleagues at the Daily Signal wrote an interesting article about, um, and the headline says, Faulty Assumptions Lead to Fake News About Climate Change. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. Kevin Diarotna has really become a, a leading expert on this. Uh, Kevin works, he's a number cruncher at Heritage, so he works in our Center for Data Analysis, and it's his job uh, to look at, uh, at these uh, scientific studies and determine if they're using, in this case, uh, good assumptions, and they're not, frankly. Uh, let's face it, I mean, the climate has been changing uh, ever since uh, our Earth was created, uh, and that's not to say that that, that uh, humans haven't contributed. I, I do believe they have. But some of the radical proposals that you see uh, floated in Congress, this is an area where I don't think you'll see an agreement anytime soon, uh, because, uh, you know, the solutions that they propose would have minimal impact, actually, on, on global temperatures. And some of these claims that they make about extreme weather you know, are are just not uh, are not proven and borne out by the data when you when you start crunching the numbers. So I think it's really important to uh, to have a a thoughtful and honest conversation about this, uh, and uh, and recognize at the same time that uh, that yes, uh, man has contributed in some ways, but uh, not everything uh, can be blamed on on climate change. Uh, not every storm or hurricane or even the mild day that we have in Virginia today, Bill, yeah. is necessarily the fault of climate change. But nevertheless, it's become uh, such a deeply embedded issue into the hearts and minds of of people that they hear information which might to a rational person be something they would go, huh, that's interesting. I'll have to study that. And it yeah. seems to me they hear something like that and they just instantly reject it. Oh, you're one of those people. Uh, yes. Uh, look, this is this is certainly an issue from early on. Uh, look, you know, I have I have a couple of kids who are who are both in elementary school, and I, I know that they they come home and you know they're hearing uh, you know one side of the story. In fact, I, I and in some ways I, I really appreciate that they want to conserve the environment. I mean, as a conservative, that's 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 what I that's what I believe in as well. Um, you know, our family has uh, an electric car. Uh, you know, so uh, we we drive a Ford C Max. You know, so we try nice. to you know conserve on on gas and 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 do all those things that we can as well. But at the same time, what I don't want to do is I don't want because when we put in place regulations, it often affects those who who you know. 
are are the the poorest in our society and can't afford uh, some of the things that uh, that the government will impose. And we've seen that time and time again in other countries. And I think that that's one of the concerns. Uh, we've had some commentary at the Daily Signal uh, from a gentleman named Derek Holly who talks about this uh, this affecting the black community and particularly hard. So yes, there there are certainly. Uh, debates that we should have uh, in Washington and across state capitals, but I think they need to have common sense solutions at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I always want to remind listeners to head to the Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. There's some always great podcasts there to listen to, and there's a great uh, one there today on the uh, Bethel effect, which is really just a term used to describe the community impact uh, of Bethel Church in Redding, California, what that congregation has done. Yes, it is. Well, and to your point earlier, Bill, about uh, Republicans and Democrats getting together, uh, the pastor we spoke to, you know, really talked about how he had a love uh, for for both Barack Obama and Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and and that that all extends all the way down uh, to the mayor of of, of Reading, and uh, and you know some of the people who are doing things on the ground there. You may disagree with some of their policies, but if you uh, if you approach conversations with a sense of trying to find that common and ground, you can do great things. And that's one of the things that this congregation has done. So uh, during the devastating uh, wildfires in California, they opened the church. It became the largest uh, center for, for providing uh, food uh, for those who were in need. Uh, they collected a million, over a million dollars in donations and distributed $1,000 to each of the families who had lost their homes in that community. So, uh, you know, there are tremendous opportunities uh, when we set aside some of our differences and try to work together and help those uh, in our community. And I think it's one of those great examples of not everything has to come from uh, a top-down model in Washington uh, or, or even state capitals. Frankly, there are a lot of people doing some, some great civic work in, in, in communities, and this is just a one example. Thank you for highlighting it. I appreciate yeah. you bringing it to your uh, listeners' attention. Yeah, Robin, I'm always reminded that when an act of generosity or an act of love is done to somebody, that's when a heart can change, when somebody can say, oh my, this is what a Christian is. I, I need to hear more about Jesus. And if you're accomplishing that um, in an initiative like this, you're doing God's work all day long. No, that's that's absolutely correct. And, and I think we should all keep that in mind, uh, you know, as we, as we go about doing everything in our life. I mean, whether it's raising our children or going to work or, you know, just uh, simply an act of kindness uh, with, with a complete stranger. Uh, you know, all of those things are, are tremendous. And that's one of the reasons I appreciate, you know, doing uh, th- this show with you, because I know that Faith Radio believes that. I know you believe in it. And, uh, and I think that's where, uh, you know, we have a, a common mission. And, uh, and hopefully we can spread that good news and, uh, and make a difference in this world. Yeah, we're a little bit out of time right now, Rob, but I do have to mention you know, we have to live each day and tell people that we love, that we love them. And because, you know, this Kobe Bryant thing, wow, it's just 41 years old, peak of life, and you're gone. That's right. So thank you so much for doing the show, and have a great rest of the day, Rob. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Rob Louie's been my guest. Of course, he is the executive editor of Daily Signal. Make sure you head over to dailysignal.com, dailysignal.com. We'll be right back. You know, relationships are God's idea. That is written by Dr. Darius Daniels. He's the founder and lead pastor of Change Church. He got his uh, uh, doctorate in 
from Fuller Seminary, which is uh, a great place to go. It's a warm place to uh, get your Ph.D. And he's written a book called Relational Intelligence, The People Skills You Need for the Life of Purpose You Want. Can't wait to meet him. Darius, welcome. Uh, how you doing? Glad to be here. I'm doing great. Where You live in New Jersey, huh? Um, yeah, I spent some time in New Jersey and in Florida. Mm, nice. In both states. Do you have one you prefer over the other? <laughs> in the winter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew that was a dumb question, but I thought I'd ask it anyway. <laughs> All right, so I'm intrigued. I love uh, this book uh, that I've got in my hands, and I want to hear more about it. I want to start with you telling me a little, about, little bit about your friend Terrence. Yeah, well, Terrence was a really key relationship that I developed, I think it was about my sophomore year of college or so, somewhere around that freshman, sophomore year. And I was at a really pivotal place, I just think, in my own faith. I don't think I was questioning uh, my faith, but really searching for, I think, my sense of purpose and sense of call and how I wanted to use my life. I went to college with the intention of being a lawyer and um, was really started really started sensing, um, I don't know, that, that I wanted to use my life to do something a little different. And he was a really, really key and critical relationship. It started as a friendship, but he became a sort of peer mentor to mm. me. And in the context of friendship, I think he helped challenge me and comfort me and coach me into a, de- into a degree of clarity regarding my call and the next steps that I was supposed to take um, as it relates to, you know, my life and my future. And it was, he was one of the few relationships that caused me to see that some of God's greatest gifts walk into your life on two legs. Wow. Yeah. God bless uh, Terrence. So, all right. Uh, how do we recognize a Terrence in our own lives? What, 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 how would we do that? Well, I think the key word is, I think, so some people use the word discernment, right? So I, the word I kind of use is reflection, which is an exercise in discernment to me. And that is simply this. That's really having the awareness and the wherewithal to ask yourself some non-judgmental questions, number one, about how does this relationship make me feel? How does it make me feel about me? How does it make me feel about God? How does it make me feel about my future? And then in addition to that, not just how does this relationship make me feel, but is this relationship adding value to my life? Is it assisting me in developing into uh, the best version of myself? Or is it, is it a distraction? And I feel like, you know, for me, I know for many people that question is um, a little bit hard for them to, to ask because they may feel like asking that kind of question is making a judgment on the person. And I don't think that's the case at all. I just think there's no such thing as a casual relationship. Every relationship affects you in some way, positively or negatively, even if you're unaware of it. And I think it's important to ask yourself those key and critical questions. How how do I feel and who am I becoming as a result of this relationship that's in my life? I love it. Now let's jump to 1 Corinthians 15. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. (laughs) <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. And I think the don't be misled yeah. is one of the most profound parts of that, that passage there because it's, it's, it says, in essence, we can be unaware of the impact that relationships are, are having on our life. Like 
just because we aren't aware of an impact doesn't mean that an impact isn't being had. And I think that's kind of what Paul is getting at. He's probably saying to them, you may not think this company is corrupting your character because you're unaware of the impact, but but it is. And just as it was for them, it can be for all of us if we aren't conscious and careful. Mm-hmm. All right, Darius, you got to know I'm a C student, uh, but I am connecting a couple of dots here. And tell me if, <laughs> tell me if I'm on the right track. You say there's no such thing as a casual relationship, and I'm connecting it to don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I bet oftentimes people are led into bad decision-making as a result of some casual relationship. That's good. I wish I had met you earlier. I could well, have put that that's, in that's that one profound thought I've had, because it sounds like when you want to fit in, when you want to belong, when you want to be a part of something, it starts with a casual relationship where somebody says, hey, why, why don't we try doing this? And all of a sudden, you're, you're putting yourself in jeopardy. And it's not a person that you know or, or care about or love very much. That is so true, 100%. And I think there are there's so many of us that can look back at times in our lives. I know when you said that, I mean, I just, I got, I got flashback after flashback nice. yeah. <laughs> or in my own life that, 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 that happened. I mean, all the way from high school to college and, and uh, early adulthood. So I, I think that's the case without a doubt. Okay. So let's talk about uh, how Jesus uh, surrounded himself with the right kind of people. And I know you, in your book, you talk about the model Jesus used for choosing his disciples. Yeah. It, and so it's, it's really based on this thought that when you look at the way Jesus managed relationships in general, I would say that Jesus, Jesus loved everyone biblically, which is love without conditions, that he valued them equally, meaning that he treated a beggar no different than he treated Zacchaeus. Mm-hmm. Everyone inherently valuable in the eyes of God. So he loved them biblically, valued them equally, but he did treat people differently. Not better or worse, but he treated people in, a, in the sense that says to me, treating everyone right does not mean treating everyone the same. And this is what I mean by that. Um, we often talk about the 12 disciples that he had. Well, within that 12, there's a group of three that historians call the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And the nature of his relationship with those three was a little bit different than the rest of the, the other nine. Mm-hmm. When he went to the Mount of Transfiguration, he only took Peter, James, and John. When he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he only took Peter, James, and John. So when he was at... The Mount of Transfiguration, there was this unveiling of his divinity. That's Mm -hmm. the best version of himself. That's his divinity. Then he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. There's this exposure of his humanity. He's overwhelmed. He's stressed, dealing with some anxiety. And so the same people that he felt like could be trusted when he was at his height and one of his highest points were people that he trusted to be with him at his lowest points also. Mm. And so our degrees of... um, intimacy that Jesus had among those, among his disciples. And I think that's, that's a powerful picture of the way that we should um, manage our relational life, because sometimes it's possible to take the wrong people to the wrong place. I mean, he didn't take doubting Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I would love, uh, Darius, for you to talk about just the power of connection. You know, we live in a world now that I think 50% of adults say they have loneliness in their life. And I think, my goodness, we're getting uh, more connected digitally and less connected face-to-face and, and person-to-person. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on with that. And in some sense, this was part of the motivation for the book. It really was because, you know, God is a relational being and God made us relational also. So to deny your need for relationship and human connection is actually to deny your humanity because God created us to thrive in the context of community. I mean, when you even look at the the creation narrative, when God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. You know, that can be interpreted as not just a man needs a wife. That could also be interpreted as humanity needed another gender. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that God's vision for the human race could not be fulfilled with the male gender only. And so for me, the description of Eve as a helpmate isn't just limited to Eve and what she was to do as a wife, but I think it also speaks to what relationships in general do to all of us. They help us. Adam needed more than just company. Adam needed help and he needed connection. And I think all of us need that. And it is, I think it's impossible to be our best self, which is God's created intent, it's possible. It's impossible to be that without healthy relational connections. The course and the quality of your life is not just determined by who you are. It's equally impacted by who you are with. Oh, well said, Darius. I love that comment. So tell me a little bit about, in your book, you talk about friends, but you also talk about associates, and you also talk about advisors. I'd love a little bit of, of um, more information on each. Sure. So the idea is that for the most part, everyone is probably going to have four types of relationships. One is the friendship relationship. Uh, The second is the associate relationship. The Mm -hmm. third is assignments. And the fourth is advisors. And what people often get confused, I think, is the friendship and the associate one. The associate relationship is a relationship that's formed based on intersecting schedules or common interests. It's we work together, we go to school together, we play on the same sports team together, our kids attend the same school together or play on the same sports team together. And as a result of that, we spend a lot of time together and we develop a relationship. And sometimes people can assume that just because they spend a large part of their life with a person, that they're supposed to share parts, a large parts of their life with that person. And that is not necessarily the case. I believe the Bible talks about, well, I know the Bible talks about friendship frequently, and I believe friendship has fruit. And just because a person has developed an associate type relationship with someone doesn't mean that person has demonstrated the fruit that makes them 
quote unquote, using Henry Cloud's words, safe for friendship. It doesn't mean that they're safe people. Now, we should be authentic with everyone, but we have to be strategic about who we're transparent with. And so there are times, I think, where people are burned and bruised and betrayed and have misaligned expectations because they confuse associates with friends. And the assignment category is just, I think, in some way, all of us, whether it's friends, like Terrence and I were friends, but I feel like I was an assignment to him. I was a mentee, that it wasn't coincidental, that it was God's providence that arranged for us to be at the school at the same time for us to meet and for him to make the kind of investment into my life that he made. And I don't think I'd be here talking to you today if God hadn't used him or someone else to make that kind of investment. Mm. And I believe the impact that in one form or another, maybe not to the same degree, but that is the kind of impact that we all can have on others. And, um, and that, that last category, which is an, an advisor, and someone may use the word mentor, whatever terminology kind of floats their boat, but we do need someone who can answer questions for us that we don't have the answers to and cause us to ask ourselves questions that we don't have the awareness to ask. And so that's kind of the gist of these categories that you just mentioned. I love it. Dr. Darius Daniels is my guest. His book is called Relational Intelligence, The People Skills You Need for the Life of Purpose You Want. We'll take a short break and be right back with Darius. show. Awful glad to have Dr. Darius Daniels as my guest. He's the founder and lead pastor of Change Church, and he's also written a book called Relational Intelligence, The People Skills You Need for the Life of Purpose You Want, and how important it is. Um, You've just said some brilliant things so far, Darius, and I I got a process. I'll do it later after the show, but um, I, I love the comment you made about no such thing as a casual relationship, and I always think the uh, a real friendship is one where you can make a 10-second call to them, where you just call someone, they pick up the phone, and they go, hey, it's me. What was the name of that restaurant we ate in in Memphis? And you go, Burger King. You go, ah, that's right. All right, talk to you later. And the whole thing is over in 10 seconds. (laughs) I mean, you have friends like that, don't you? Where you don't have to say, hey, Darius, it's Bill Arnold calling. How are you? Good. Yeah, me too. I'm good too. So I have a question about that restaurant we ate in. You know, you don't have to say that. Yeah. I know I get exactly where you're coming from with that it, because, and I think that's what I meant earlier when I talked about, you want to be authentic with everyone, right? Oh, yeah. But, but, but what you're describing is transparency. It means, it means that the need for pretension, pleasantries is removed because yeah. there is, there's an understanding that you two have with each other. You're loved, you're valued, you're appreciated. And (laughs) it removes the pressure (laughs) for you to kind of have to perform in that relationship in ways that you may perform in others. And people don't talk about that a lot, but there is a lot of, especially in associate relationships, right? There's some performance that goes on a little bit. And it doesn't mean that someone is being um, who they aren't, 
but it it does mean that it's possible to it's it's really possible for you not to be fully you except for when you're in the presence of people that you know love value and won't judge the real you yeah those are those friends are your most comfortable pair of jeans without a doubt yeah 100%. yeah so in your book you talk about uh, the important difference between giving your life to someone and spending your life with someone say more about that sure i want to tell you kind of where that quote came from first of all or where that idea came from yeah, yeah. the idea came from the, actually something i actually went through and um it took some it took a one it took a scare a life-threatening scare with my mother who had a she was having she had a history of migraines she was having so i mean had a history of migraines for years and uh, one day I was away and she was having a bout of migraines. They thought it was migraines. And then they found out later it was cerebral hemorrhaging. Oh, boy. So they rushed her to the hospital. They had to do brain surgery. And this was early on in my past. And so I was traveling and speaking. I was rarely getting home to see her because she still lived in Mississippi. And, you know, uh, Bill, what I felt there was not just fear or grief. I felt deep regret. And grief, grief alone is a big burden to bear. You don't want to compound the effect of grief with regret. And so what I saw in what I saw then is that some of the people who meant the most to me were getting the least from me. And that is, you know, part of what I mean when I talk about the difference between spending your life with someone and then spending your life per se on someone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for the most part, if you work with people, you're probably going to be spending more time with them in terms of logging hours than you are with friends or maybe even family. That's spending your life with them. But that is completely different than spending your life on someone. And what do I mean by that? I mean, primarily two things. When I say life, I'm talking about your time and your energy. And so for me, there are places I had invested a lot of time and a lot of energy that were not into places that mattered to me as much or that always align with God's priorities. And so, of course, I wasn't going to be able to spend as much time with my mom as I would a coworker. Yet I needed to be willing to make some decisions where I would give up, meaning sacrifice some time and sacrifice some energy and spend it on someone who had a relationship with me and I had a relationship with them that mattered a whole lot more to me. So that's kind of the idea uh, with the book. Mm, I appreciate that perspective. And I, I am inclined to ask, is your mother still with us? Yes. Terrific. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. And so that was um, just a miraculous turnaround story, and um, she's doing doing well now. But it really, really shifted not the way I just kind of saw my relationship with her, but the way I saw um, relationships in general. Yeah, well, be sure and say hi to her for me and tell her about your new friend, Bill. Will do. All right. Now, in Chapter 8 of your book, Darius, you talk about acceptance. Now, this is a line I'd love to read and have you respond to. It's one thing to see what we see. It's another to accept what we see. <laughs> Kapawi. Yes. Say more about that. <laughs> yeah, that's really difficult. You know, Jesus talks about knowing trees by 
by their fruit. Mm -hmm. And I call it fruit inspection because we aren't inspecting the fruit to judge the tree. That That's not the purpose, say good tree, bad tree. But we are uh, expecting the fruit to see, is this an apple tree or an orange tree? And then to make the determination, is this apple tree or orange tree safe for me, healthy for me, Ooh. helpful for me? Yeah, I like it. In my life. And so that's kind of the idea, I think, there are times where, as believers, people of faith, we we see the best in people. We want to pull out that best. We want to to treat them in a way that um, demonstrates our belief in them. But in order, I believe, in order for anyone to get to where they want to go, they've got to accept where they are. And that not only applies to our life personally, but it also applies to people we're in relationship with. There are times where it's really difficult to accept what you see because we really want sometimes um, people to be who they made a decision right now that they are not. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, that's a tough one, but I, I think it's, I think Jesus demonstrates that when he looks at Judas and says, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Yeah. All right. I also want to talk about aligning your relationships. And from your book, it says the hard truth is this. God has called us to certain levels of relationships with certain people, not with all people. Mm -hmm. And relationships, we only have so much time. And say more about that. Yeah, I've heard one. I heard one leader put it this way: "Do for some what you wish you could do for all." Okay, I love that. Yeah, and it's this whole idea again that your time and that your energy are limited resources, and that they have to be stewarded well in order for us to steward our life well. And it takes some discerning and some reflection to know where I should be investing this time in this energy? Where am I going to see the greatest return for kingdom gain? And where I, where am I going to see some of the greatest fruit in my own life? And, and, and that is stewardship. And I think sometimes it's really hard for people of faith because they confuse stewardship with selfishness. That's, that's not selfishness. It's stewardship. You can't live a generous life that helps and serve others well if you aren't stewarding your own well. And so that's where that comes from. I love that. So the book, Relational Intelligence, so when people pick this up, what are you hoping uh, the readers will sort of walk away with in a brown paper bag? Well, first thing is, uh, I'm hoping that there'll be more intentional when it comes to managing their relationships, because there's no area of your life that's not impacted by your relationships. So relationship management is life management. You cannot get the great commandment right without getting relationships right. It's huge. Love God, love neighbor. Loving neighbor is all about how we relate to them. So intentionally, one. And then the second and final thing is managing them intelligently. That doesn't mean that we don't have emotions. And we don't utilize the emotions, but it does mean that God has given us a brain and a mind, and he wants us to use that also for the purpose of this, not necessarily aligning people. People aren't commodities. We don't align people like cans on a shelf, but for the purpose of aligning our expectations and also aligning our investments so that 
the people that matter the most to us don't get the least from us. That's so wise. You're a deep well, Darius, and I need part two with you. We've got to keep this discussion going. Unfortunately, we're kind of running out of time today. But if you would uh, come back, I'd love it. For sure, my friend. It'd be my honor. Yeah. And I love that you're already calling me your friend. That's a good thing. That makes me Absolutely. happy. <laughs> <laughs> and blessings to you and uh, your family. And I will uh, we'll get you back on. I think there's you're a deep well. There's a lot more to talk about. Thank you so much, sir. Enjoy it. You bet. Dr. Darius Daniels has been my guest. His book is called Relational Intelligence, The People Skills You Need for the Life of Purpose You Want. That um, is available online. You can go pick this up, and we're going to take a little break. And uh, we got Hour 2 coming up, which I'm looking forward to. We've got uh, Dr. Uh, Brett Nix coming on the program, and I'm uh, looking forward to that. And then uh, who else is coming on Rebecca? Pastor Jeremy Treat from Pastor Jeremy Treat from LA. sunny Los Angeles. Yeah, that's hour two all coming up ahead. Take a short break. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.